Well, as you give, as um, Blake mentioned earlier, we are thankful that you're here. My name is John. I'm the campus pastor here at the Center Church. And I can't believe we're already a couple Sundays into the rhythm of 2019. Um, I'm having so much fun in 2019. I hope the whole year is like this. Like, I don't know. And I think doing a series that has a bunch of palm trees and beaches is helping me feel a little bit better about what I'm currently experiencing outside too. I hope that is for you. Um, but last week, we kind of kicked off this series called Sharks and Selfies. And we we're talking about the whole idea that when you see a picture of a shark, and I'll show you just a beautiful picture that... I don't know about you, but anytime I'm on open seas or like in a kind of tropical setting and I'm on a beach, I have that flash through my mind, at least for 30 seconds. Like that could be me, like the teeth, the whole body, the fins, everything. Like little old John could be crunched up in the middle of that. Like I don't want to be featured on Shark Week. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. And, uh, but it's funny, but what I'm not afraid of is taking a selfie. I don't know about you, but it comes very naturally to me now, and I still think I look weird, but I still do it. I want to show you a, tr a picture of one that's a little bit more dangerous. Idiot, right? Like, no wonder people die from selfies. People are taking selfies like that. So I don't recommend you go to your local train track and try to figure that out. Uh, there's another one of a shark with a guy and that is the ultimate selfie right there. I'm right, like Photoshop, obviously, come on, if you're a realist, but just play with me for a second. Like, that's funny, I, I like his creativity. But here's what we know, there's kind of a, a quick graph we threw up last weekend that told us how many people die from selfie-related incidents versus shark-related incidents. And the numbers are disproportionate. So if you can't see the bottom or read it, sharks and selfies, there's a massive difference. Like selfies is way around 31 deaths per year, sharks around five or six. And yet there's so many of us who, if we had to kind of list out our fears, selfie would be way below a shark attack on our list of greatest fears. And we talked about last weekend, the reason I think that is, is so many of us put fear in the wrong place. We don't really fear the things we should and the things that we do fear, it's kind of irrational when we really boil it down and start to think about it. Now, a biblical fear is placing fear in the right place. And we talked about God being the perfect object of fear. Now, not just fears in like, oh my goodness, I'm terrified of you, but fears in reverence, of authority, of awe, of wonder. And yet so many times that gets misplaced. And we put that in other people, people's approval of us, people's likes on social media for us. I mean, your boss's view of you, your spouse's view of you, your kids, view of you. And often our fear gets misplaced, taking it from God and putting it on to other people. We give people our fear. We're fearful of other people's maybe rejection, maybe their lack of approval, maybe their perception of us or what they're going to say. And I, I've had many conversations, even with some of you who said, yeah, well, no duh. Like our culture is the most technologically advanced culture in all of history. And social media has never been a bigger thing than it is right now. And you're like, that's the problem. And maybe, like maybe it's a problem. What I think social media has done is to magnify a problem we've always had. And that's having an irrational fear of what other people think about us and, and fear about their approval or fear that they may reject us or turn us away. Fear that following God in the spite of all these other relationships might not turn out as well as we want it to. And I don't know about you, but every time I get tagged in a picture on Facebook, the first thing I do is there may be like 20 people in the picture. Who do you look for in the picture when there's 20 people? Yourself. 
Like I zoom, I, it may be like a really far zoom, but I like pinch that thing and zoom in as far as I can just to like identify like, oh, I look decent there. I look pretty fine. And if there's one, like we went to a beach recent, like in the summer, I was like, please don't post any pictures. I hope like the first thing I do when I get home, like just make it sure Lindsay didn't tag me in anything weird or anything unbecoming of what I really look like. Like that's the first thing I check. It's so weird. And, and I'm, and I don't know about you, but I'm like, five, five short of a six pack. I don't know what your life is like. I'm just five. I'm working towards that. I'm five away. Um, I'm going to get there soon. Uh, that's what you call a dad joke. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not totally funny, but thanks for humoring me in that. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm not even a dad. So that's not a good sign for the next couple of years. Uh, but it's true. Like even me, even a pastor, even someone who's a professional Christian, like I think about those things. And when I see it on social media, I'm immediately trying to evaluate, does that look good? Do I look fine? But what I think social media has done is not to create a problem, but to magnify the problem that we've had for all of generations. All of humanity has wrestled with viewing other people and their perception of us above God's view of us and God's perception of us as his children. And it's interesting. Now, fear of man does a bunch of things in us. And I'll use man, but what I mean is fear of other people. But in the scriptures, it talks about fear of man as being this thing that if we don't control it and put it in its place, if we don't elevate a fear of God above a fear of man, things like worry creep into our life. Things like stress creep into our life. Things like anxiety and depression creep into our life. Because if it's true, that my worth or value is based on what you think of me, I'm in trouble. Because as broken, selfish human beings, we're often not the kindest to one another, if you haven't gathered that on social media in the last six months, right? It's just not a, a breeding ground for encouragement and positive thinking. And so anytime I put stock in what other people say above what God says, or I fear other people above God himself, my life gets out of order. I get frustrated. I can, I can sink into depression or I can want to be isolated or I can try to avoid having meaningful relationships because I fear other people's perception, their approval, and their embrace of me or my lifestyle or, or how I look. And, and I don't know about you, but I've really wrestled with the question, why is my life that way? Why does it seem that our world and our relationships are just one big competition and often social media or the workplace or the home is the arena? It's just again and again, how do I one up the next person? How do I have a 2020 car by the time that person gets their 2019 car? How do I get a house that's better? How do I elevate myself in my workplace where I have status and I have importance and people know my name? Maybe it comes to your looks and beauty and, and trying to continue to work on that and elevate that above anything else. And the most important thing about you is how many Instagram likes are on your account. How do you break free of that? How do you really, as a real human being, we're not talking abstract, but in your everyday life, how do you break free from a life like that? And why is life like that? It's funny because we can identify with the scriptures over and over again. Last week, we talked about Isaiah, this man who found himself in a very powerful encounter with a holy God, and it struck fear into his heart, but it changed his life. When he rightly ordered that fear of God, his entire mission, his entire calling was found in that vision that he had. We walked through that and talked about that fear of God is placing fear in the right place which is elevating God above other people. I wanna talk a little bit though about why I think 
that so many of us wrestle with the fear of man, with the fear of people's approval and how to break free from it. And again, we can identify with the scripture story. I don't know what your familiarity is with this book, but every time I open this book, uh, I remember growing up in church, every time I approached the Bible, it was a beautiful historical document to me. It was interesting. There was archeology, span there's all these cool facts, there were some stories, I'm like, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's cool, like it, it reads well. Like, and I went through and Jesus, I understood, I believed all that. But the Bible has become something different to me the more I read it. And you know this is true. If you've grown in your faith and you've taken steps to maturity in your faith, you know this is true for you. The Bible has become less of a historical document, more of a mirror. So that every time I read it, I see myself in it. Every time I read a story, even if culturally it's different, I can dig in and find myself, my own story in its story. And the same goes true for the people of Israel. See, the people of Israel had journeyed through the wilderness and God in that season had shown up on Mount Sinai and given them what we know as the 10 commandments, the law. And he said, I'm not just giving you laws to give you laws because I'm bored as God, but I wanna give you laws that will give you life and actually lead you to human flourishing. It's gonna make your community better and it's gonna honor me. You're gonna fear me if you are willing to keep these guidelines for life. And Moses leading the people. We're familiar with Moses if you are familiar with the scripture story. But Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law. Deuteronomy literally translates directly. It's an old Greek word that translates to second law. Moses is retelling the 10 commandments to his people. And this is what we read. We overhear God speaking through Moses in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And I wanna encourage you today to pull out your Bible, maybe a phone or device and Google it. Uh, maybe you know it by heart. I'd be shocked if you do, but you might. And uh, in Deuteronomy 10, I just wanna read two verses here because it teaches us something about fear and why we often fear man's approval in our life as a result. Verse 12 says this, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. When I think about demand, commands and decrees, I don't often think about for my good. Like you probably grew up maybe with a parent who was really strict or, or heavy handed. And often those rules did not come across as for my good. They came across as my dad's a jerk. Like, I don't know about your experience. Now I've grown to love and respect my dad, but there were some moments where I had some intense fear around him. Like when I heard my brother in the other room getting a spanking, I was like, I'm next. This is going to be bad. Like I definitely was the instigator in this situation and he's coming after me. Like it struck fear and terror into my heart. And that's not exactly the kind of fear that God is instructing the Israelites to have. The word fear is probably a little bit better translated, not just fears and terror, which is a part of it, but reverence of awe, of wonder, of a recognition of, of the holiness and the, uh, and the otherness of who God is. It's recognizing that on a daily basis. And Moses is giving them the second law and he's talking to people who had been journeying through the wilderness following this kind of God, who wrestled with the fear of other people's approval, who wrestled with other nations who said, you're in the wilderness, you're eating manna, it's, I don't think your God is very worthy of worship or being trusted or devoting the rest of your life to him. I mean, things are not going well. And yet they stayed and they stayed true and a remnant of people stuck with it. And Moses trying to lead the people 
back into a fear of God. Now, here's what's true. You cannot fear both God and man, just like you can't serve both God and man. Jesus says this later in the Gospel of Matthew. You can't serve two masters. Now, he's talking about money, but I think the same thing true, holds true for worship, holds true for fear, holds true for devotion. You just can't do both. And God recognizes this and gives them a command to fear him only, to not divide their worship, to divide their love, to divide their devotion to all these other things. You just can't serve and worship God as well as people's approval of you. They are mutually exclusive. And Israel wrestled with this because many of the cultures around them had multiple gods, sometimes hundreds, maybe even thousands of gods, and their devotion and fear was in a lot of different directions, and God's call to them in the law, and then the second giving of the law, like we read here in Deuteronomy 10, is just to fear me only, to worship and revere me alone. Here's why I think God said that, and here's what those of us who are really learning what this means throughout the series are probably coming to realize, that we follow who we fear. We follow who we fear. If you want to look back and kind of take reverse inventory of your life and find out why you are the way you are, look back at the things that you've worshipped, revered, and feared in your life in the last five years. If you want to look at the kind of person you've become, look at the words that you have cherished most deeply in your heart. What are the things that are most important to you about who you are? They may be the words of a friend, of a spouse, a boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe they're the words of God himself. And your identity is rooted in that. But either way, you can look back and see that you have followed, that I have followed who I fear again and again. It's almost automatic. When you choose to place your reverence and awe and wonder on something, you become like that something again and again. Now, I'm, I'm not one for three-point sermons. You probably picked that up if you've been around Center for any length of time. But this is going to be a three-point sermon today. So I hope you're okay with that. Um, today, as I look at the scripture, there's just three things that literally, as I studied over the last couple of weeks, just continue to stick out to me. And I think it's so important for answering the question, why are we this way when it comes to people's approval and fear of man? Again, they're all structured under the idea of we follow who we fear. But I want to give you the first one. It's really, really simple. It's not going to shock you. Fear leads us to obey. See, when we have a biblical fear, when we have a fear of God that's in the right place, look with me in verse 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord? So that's kind of the overarching theme here, fear of the Lord. But then he, he says something will happen as a result if we rightly fear God. We'll walk in obedience to him and to love him. Those are one and the same. Walk in obedience to him and we'll love him because fear leads us to obey. Let's take it back to when my dad was spanking my little brother. <laughs> like, let's go back to that moment for a second. What I think is interesting is that there were moments as a kid in which I obeyed, but I felt like I was forced to obey, right? But why, dad? Because I said so. Like, obviously. Like, but that was not coming out of a place of love when I did obey. It was coming out of a place of fear. Like, I don't want to get spanked. I don't want to get in trouble. Like, I don't want any of those things to happen to me. So I'm going to obey. Fearing God is different than that because God is not going to punish you when you misstep. There are serious consequences for sin, and yet God's grace is so much bigger than you can imagine that fear of him leads us to obey. Think of a shepherd. 
Think of the picture of the good shepherd in the book of Psalms. David writes about a shepherd that leads people to good pasture, that leads his people to water, that leads them to flourishing. And that's the kind of the obedience and, and the leadership that God and a fear of God can bring us. The second is really simple too. Fear motivates us to serve. Fear leads us to obey and fear motivates us to serve. See, when I really love something, I'm willing to serve that something. And so many of you, I mean, in this church, I'm blown away every single weekend. There's people who show up here way before it's light outside and they serve. And I, I don't think it's by accident that that happens, by the way. I don't think it's just like they have some sick obligation to me or they love high school gyms or whatever. Like it's none of those weird things. What I really do think, I really truly believe this, that it's a rightly placed fear of God that it's a recognition that God is so holy and worthy and, and so distinct and beautiful in who he is, that he's worth serving. And fear motivates us to serve. On the flip side, when you have fear of man, you're also willing to serve those people. Now, it's not in a good way either. Like you're willing to bend and maybe make moral compromises when you really care about other people's approval more than what God says, his identity and his approval of you. And the same is true if you're in a dating relationship. There may be consequences to situations and, and decisions that you have made when you choose to value that woman or value that man over God himself. And you lose a fear and you fear them more than you fear who God is. It leads to all sorts of consequences. But I think about the positive side of that as well. Last Tuesday, actually, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for today, we got to serve as a church with hand-to-hand. -hand. Many of you are familiar with hand-to-hand. -hand. We've talked about it uh, the past couple of months, but we started a partnership with hand-to-hand -hand this past week, serving at Oriole Park Elementary School, just right up the road here in Wyoming. Now there's 40 kids there who every single weekend go home with no promise of food on the shelves. Every weekend. It's not like a one-time thing. It's like a consistent pattern that they don't have the food they need when they get home. And obviously as a church, that breaks our heart and we align our lives with Jesus' compassion to say, we can do something about that. And we have done something about that as we start this partnership. But there's eight of us who got to serve and pack all the meals for Byron Center and Wyoming schools this past Tuesday. And I left there thinking, why would someone in their right mind give up 45 minutes to an hour on their Tuesday night. They're already busy. There's already things to do. Now, it could be motivated by just like a weird sense of charity or obligation. Again, I don't, I don't know if they like basements and packing Meyer bags full of food. Maybe that's their thing. But here's what I think. I think when we have a rightly placed fear of God, it will motivate us to serve. It'll motivate us to do things that no one else is doing. It'll motivate us to help those who are on the fringe of society, the kids that no one cares about. If those kids go hungry, who knows? We won't know. We're not going to find out. We're not going to lay in bed at night thinking about it probably. But if those were our kids, we'd be motivated to serve them. And in God's eyes, they are our kids. And so we serve them. And so we show up. We deliver meals at the school every Thursday afternoon because fear of God motivates us to serve. It pushes us outside of what's comfortable for us and cause us to think about the other. God knew this. That's why he writes in verse 12, he speaks through Moses and said, not only is the fear gonna lead you to obedience and, and love for me, but it's also gonna help you serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. It's gonna break you and it's gonna cause you to take action. That's the second. Fear leads us to obey. Fear motivates us to serve. And the third one is this. Fear helps us to observe. 
Now that's kind of a weird way to word that, but look with me in verse 13, what God says through his servant Moses. Not only is it gonna help you walk in obedience and love me, but to serve me as well. But here's what it's gonna do. It's gonna help you to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, what? For your own good. See, when you trust your parent, you recognize that those disciplines and commands and convictions and corrections, um, they lead to your own good. And that's something I've learned. Before, as a little kid, I feared my dad. I was afraid of him. I did not want to get in trouble because I was terrified he was going to punish me. 10, 15, 20 years later, I've grown to fear him, but in a way that respects and honors and shows dignity to him. Because I know that as I look back in hindsight, those things were for my good. He wanted my best life. He wanted me to be the kind of guy that God wanted me to be. And I look back in hindsight and I see that that properly placed fear leads to a different relationship between him and I. And it changes how we interact. And it's the same with God. You may wrestle with reading the scriptures. Maybe you show up to church and it's the only time you've opened the Bible the entire week. I think for many of us, there's this fear and, and stigma around it because often it's like, I don't even know where to start. I, I don't know where to go. And yet I sat around a dinner table on Thursday night with a group of guys who probably all of us would identify with that feeling. And all of us talked about how for the last 16 weeks, we studied the book of Mark together right here in our church. And I've looked over that time and I was changed and I do this on a weekly basis. Think about the person who sets aside that stigma, who sets aside all the problems and issues when it comes to reading the scriptures and knowing the truth and says, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna be consistent. Those people's lives will be changed. And the guys I sat around with on Thursday, their lives were changed because they learned that a fear of God, when you say, okay, I don't know how this is gonna work. I trust you, I revere you. And so I'm gonna just figure out, fear actually helps us to observe, helps us to to know, to see the truth, especially when it comes to the scriptures and to know what God's asking of us. I don't know, again, if what your life is like on social media. I don't know what apps you have. I don't know if there's apps that are like buried deep in some folders because you're really embarrassed that you have them. One of those that's buried in a folder for me is the app, some of you have it, called Snapchat. Now, what's interesting about Snapchat is this, that plastic surgeons over the last couple of years have actually coined a term around this app called Snapchat dysphoria. And it's the phenomenon of people walking in to plastic surgery offices and showing them a picture of a Snapchat filter and being like, I want that. <laughs> it's true. Like, it's, I'm not making this up. And you're probably like, well, yeah, I look good with the stars above my head. Like, it, may, it looks great. But they literally walk in with their phone and they're like, could you do this? And obviously as a plastic surgeon, I don't know any, but I'm just assuming that causes some problems because you're like, uh, sure. Like we can figure that out. And a couple Sharpie marks later, you're like, is that what you wanted? And they probably don't turn out as great as they thought. But it's just again and again, and it's pointed out something about our culture that's, if you're on social media or not, I still think it existed before, is that we are constantly rating ourselves, but it's all against other people. Have you ever thought about that? that the reason you may think you are ugly is because you know people that you think are beautiful. The reason you don't feel handsome is because there's people in your life who you've concocted or our cultures helped you concoct a version of what is handsome, what is good looking, what is strong. And it's so interesting to me that this thing has popped up. Now, if you don't believe me, I wanna show you a picture of a woman who walked in 
and asked, can I get my face to look like that? Now, obviously, you notice a difference. She's glowing. Her jawline's a little bit sharper. Her, her eyes are just bursting with color. I mean, she looks great. So I tried this a little bit earlier, and it didn't turn out as well. Now, I didn't think that was going to be funny to me, but that's funny. <laughs> now, mullets are not in style, okay? I'm just letting y'all remind yourself. Now, some of you have the self-confidence to rock one, and I appreciate that. I respect that a lot. But the reason that, can you put that back up there? I just, I like that picture a lot. Um, the reason that that on the right is ugly is because no one really looks like that anymore, like it's a comparison of what currently is good looking for, for men in our culture. Just like for that woman, it was probably like, I want to look like this. It's beautiful. And that's what we consider to be real and true beauty. Yet at the core of that is a fear of man. There's a fear of approval in that if I don't look the right way, will people think I'm respectable? Will think people think I'm good looking? And instead of elevating God's words over those other people's, often other people's words become elevated over God's. This is true for me as well. And so here's what I think, if you want to turn the corner on this in your own life, if you want to know how do I take a step away from that kind of life, how do I break free of the competition of people's approval or good looks or whatever beauty is supposed to mean, and how do I really place God in the right place? How do I really fear him so that I can obey and serve and be motivated to observe his commandments and to walk in life. I think it starts just by knowing, knowing the fear of God over the fear of man and placing the fear of God over the fear of man. You're like, okay, that's not helpful. What do you have next? Like, here's what I think you could do this week. If you want to turn the corner on this, I think it's really simple. You have to ask and reflect on some of the questions like this. Now, you could do this at a stoplight. You can do this in your quiet time if you have one. You can do this with a spouse or a trusted friend or, or a pastor. It's to wrestle through these two questions. They won't be on the screen, so if you want them, you've got to write them down. The first is this. Whose approval do I want the most? And that's going to challenge some of us. That challenges me even today. Whose approval do I want the most? Is it a boss? Is it a spouse? Is, is it a kid? Is it a, a dating relationship? Is it somebody else in my life? Like whose approval do I want the most? And the second question is similar, but also as significant. Whose words do I hear the most? Not just whose approval do I want the most, that speaks to the heart and soul of what it is, but beyond that, real practically, whose words am I hearing the most? What apps or websites or news channels or situations do I consume my life with? What media or, or voices or messages do I consume the most? And what should I do about that? I was thinking about this literally this morning. I was Every time, I, I think it's like once a week, I get a screen time report. It's like a new update for iPhone. And if you have an Android, I'm sorry. I don't know what you have, but I'm sure you have something similar. Um, not to ostracize you, everyone is welcome here. Even if you have an Android, you're welcome. <laughs> Especially you. Um, but the screen time report, as I was saying, it showed me that on average, I'm on my phone four hours a day. That's so much time. Like I complain about not having enough time to do important things. 
That's where all my time went. Now, I justify, well, I played DirecTV for my phone, so it's like two hours, but we're watching a movie or whatever. Like, I have all these justifications, doesn't matter. Four hours a day on my phone. Whose words do you think I'm hearing the most? If I spend half an hour on Instagram a day and 10 minutes on the, in the scriptures, whose words am I hearing the most? If my idea of who I really am comes from the social media accounts I have and how many of you like my picture when I put it up or whatever, whose words do I hear the most and whose approval do I really want the most? Now, it's, it's not really romantic to talk about that, but when you think about following Jesus in your everyday life, that is one of the areas it starts. It's just placing that fear of God above the fear of man, above other people's approval. And as we close, I want to read this scripture out loud together. This is something powerful that we did last weekend. I want to do it again. Uh, but in Proverbs 29, which Proverbs is written by supposedly the wisest man that ever walked the world, this guy Solomon asked God for one thing. And he said, God said, I'll give you anything. He asked for wisdom. And this is what he writes about fear of man. And I want to read it out loud together from Proverbs 29, 25. Let's read this out. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Other translations say, whoever fears the Lord, whoever puts their trust in the Lord has life. Has full life. John 10, 10, Jesus came to give us life and give it to the full. That's the kind of life. But if you are resting in the fear of man, if your life, it literally equates that to a snare. Some of you are hunters. You know what it's like to trap something. And the purpose of the trapping something is not to like go and pet it. It's to kill it. And that's exactly the imagery that's coming up in Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man will trap your life. It will kill it. It will steal it. It will destroy you. But the fear of the Lord and putting your trust in him will keep you safe. It'll bring you life. That's the kind of life that fear of the Lord, rightly placing that fear, can bring you. My friends, there's nothing better on earth than knowing that you are perfectly aligned in your life with Jesus and his will for you. And this is God's word to us today. I'd love to pray for you. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes just to help you focus and invite the band to come up as we prepare to close. I know that for many of us, as we wrestle through this issue of the fear of man versus the fear of the Lord, it's not a one-time quick fix, put a band-aid on it and life is better because Monday is coming and the relationships you have are coming and your phone is still in your pocket. And so it's a battle, it's a, it's, a, it's a war that you and the Holy Spirit have to wage in your life. But I know that for many of us, there have been situations or words spoken over, over us that have put us in bondage and enslaved us to other people's approval, to their words, to their view of us and their words about us. And we just need God's help to be set free from that. That there are snares in our life that we need to be set free from. So I would invite you, if, if you know what that is, if you know maybe it's a person's name, maybe it's a specific word or phrase that you're always gonna be fat, you're always gonna be ugly, you're never gonna get a girlfriend, whatever those things are, I don't, I don't know what they are for you. But God's invitation to you today is to be set free from those fears to overcome by the Holy Spirit, to recognize that his words about you are the most important, that he always keeps his promises. 
that he is always faithful, he's always good, he's always true, and you can be safe in him. So God, we just today, we surrender our fears to you. And we ask for you to set us free because we wanna know you. We wanna not just fear you, but be able to be led to obedience, to be motivated to serve, to, to ultimately observe what you've asked us to do and to know the truth so that we can be set free. So God, we trust in you. Our hope is in you. And we ask for your freedom to fill our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name.